Hello, and welcome back to Throwdown, an action cinema podcast. I am your host, Vaughn. I'm here with Jack. How are you doing today, Jack? I'm all good, Vaughn. How are you doing on this weekend here? I am doing great, and I'm very excited to talk about more action movies, and today we've got a very fun one. We've mm. got Keita Amamiya's Mechanical Violator Hakaider from 1995. Which is a, it's a mouthful, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> I, I, I always <laughs> always struggle to spell this one and say it, because it's just <laughs> sort of all the letters, all the sounds that you can jam-pack into a movie title. But, you know, I think that perfectly encapsulates what this movie is. It is a lot. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> It's all the movie you could cram into an hour or an hour and 15 minutes, depending, <laughs> yes, on, which cut depending you on which cut. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this is our first uh, Japanese movie on, on the podcast. Yeah. And I wanted to start this by talking briefly about like our history with this like realm of cinema in terms of tokusatsu movies and Japanese sort of like superhero movies and action movies because we both have seen quite a lot of the same sort of things and sort of came up on the same path of watching this stuff in recent years um definitely for me it started with the Godzilla series and getting heavily involved Mm. and invested in in uh, Ishiro Honda's original sort of movies there and then going through the Showa and the Heisei stuff and just really sort of focusing on the the practical effects of monster movies and guys in rubber suits smashing into each other and obviously that has spun off into watching weird and wacky tokusatsu stuff from Japan like Ultraman and Kamen Rider and things it's such a fun like rabbit hole to go down because definitely yeah this is kind of a similar arc for me starting mm. with just that the original 54 Godzilla and mm-hmm. then kind of spiraling out from there although I think I got into Gamera much quicker um, mm. because it was a lot easier to to kind of marathon through those yeah and I kind of made a unspoken agreement with myself to watch all of the Godzilla films with friends. Mm-hmm. And so just like scheduling those, it's been a, a we have, long, like multiple yeah. year marathon I getting through say, all the Godzilla I, movies. <laughs> I think we've been doing it for like two and a half years now, going chronologically. And yeah. we're, up, <laughs> uh, we're up into the Millennium series, like the mid-2000s. I think, what's, yeah, what's next for done. us? Is it, is it Final Wars uh, next think, for us? Or have we got another no, one I think afterwards? it's Tokyo SOS next. Right, okay. where we're at. Yeah, yeah but that has, so definitely, there. <laughs> that has definitely been sort of the, the spawning point for our like letterbox deep dives into Japanese monster movies and Japanese like action superhero stuff leading to discoveries like Mechanical Violator Hakeda. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah because you start with yeah the big stuff the big kaiju movies and they've got you know bigger budgets and mm-hmm. uh, i think tend to be a little more serious um oh yeah but definitely. then you start you start kind of branching out into this other stuff like like you said like ultraman common rider and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that and then you get down these little paths where there's like just like really passionate low budget productions where they're just like putting everything into these these films and i think what's really great about a lot of these tokusatsu films is that they're just so digestible like Mm, a lot of them are just like even 30 minutes to an hour and it's just like you can just jump in and it's like everything is crammed in and they do everything they possibly can and it's 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 a real delight 
it's it's one of the you know the, the, the lucky things about the internet age as i said in the last episode is that a lot of these are just free streaming in various sources online some of them are 25 minutes long you don't need to know like the pre-existing lore of the characters of the world to really enjoy right. the like the story at the core like i've seen several like Cayman Rider shorts that are, like 25 to 40 minutes long and they're all sort of standalone adventures with this very basic character um and Mechanical Violator Hakeda sort of, like, is a continuation of some of the themes of, say, like, the 60s and 70s Ultraman and Kamen Rider stuff, but it's such a, a darker, more sort of, like, anti-hero stance that I found really, really interesting on this rewatch. Yeah, so I was doing, I, I was curious, kind of, about some of the production of this film, mm. so I did a little bit of research. I don't know how much you know about it um, sure. as, a, as a film, but... So it's a, it's based on a tokusatsu series called Android Kikaider. Yeah. Um, and Hakaider was originally the villain of that series. And ah. uh, Amamiya was like, all right, I'm going to turn him into the basically the hero of this film. And I think people were actually kind of upset about this at the time because it... it it turns the the hero of the original series, Kikaider, he becomes like this brainwashed villain robot named Michael, <laughs> <laughs> um, who is who is the enemy, who is being controlled by like this kind of uh, fascist god stand-in kind of character, who is the, yes. the big bad. Um, it's such an interesting world that this exists in. Um, Hakaider is like buried under... Uh, a series of underground passages in the outskirts of Jesus Town. <laughs> yes, some <laughs> and, of the, uh, the names and locations in this yeah. are just... I don't know how well they translate into English, but I love what right. they call in English. <laughs> like, Michael yeah. and Jesus Town. They're just so oh, perfectly fantastic. direct names. Yeah, it's so on the nose, but I think that's what makes it work so well for me, is it's just like, you don't need to... You don't know subtlety here is, is necessary. Um, but yeah, Hakaider is discovered underground by some some treasure hunters trying to mm -hmm. make a quick buck, and he busts out and has to go uh, demolish Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's, it's it's a fun one. It's set in this like post-apocalyptic junkyard landscape, which is not really sort of a, an environment you see a lot of in like the Super no. Sentai series or Ultraman. They're always like clean and pristine ideas of like 80s and 70s japan mixed with sort of uh, like futuristic outlooks you know it's all sort of prim and proper and clean and shiny and this one is so it's so desolate and dark and brimstone yeah. and fire and just like gritty yeah i think that's what draws me in so much to this one it is such a great inversion of all those ideas like it, it is exactly that a lot of that tokusatsu stuff is very clean and campy and silly and and saturated and colorful and and this is like no this is gritty cyberpunk and the mm. clean like pristine stuff is actually like this kind of false god that uh, that needs to be taken down because he's <laughs> actually brainwashing everybody yeah so i was looking into sort of like the the roots of what this was inspired by and obviously the tokusatsu stuff stems back to like the 50s and 60s and there's just so much of it like you it's really yeah. really hard to get a comprehensive history of this sort of genre of japanese action cinema um i was looking into like the origins of uh, android kikeda like you said which i believe 
believe was created by uh, Shotaro Ishinomori, who uh, I believe did the um, original uh, Ultraman, uh, uh, original Kamen Rider as well, because I recently read the um, the original like tie-in manga series written and drawn by oh, cool. uh, Ishinomori. Uh, so I was pleasantly surprised to see that he worked on both of these. But like, there's there's so much of it, but it's always about sort of like costumed heroes battling evil. That is just always the premise. It's always sort of right. villain of the weeky. Um, sometimes they feature motorcycles like Cayman Rider, and it sort of turns into like a sports action series at the same time. Yeah. Um, so mechanical um, mechanical violator Hakeda definitely sort of plugs into those themes and those like stylistic stuff but like this is not your daddy's Cayman <laughs> Rider this is such like a dark and no, teenage like an edgier <laughs> version with his like like how would you describe the the visual look of mechanical violator Hakeda because it's it's a very interesting sort of design I would say yeah he's he's got like he's jet black mm. with kind of gold accents and he's got like these big spiky like shoulder pads almost mm. and then his his mask has like this glowing red like brain yeah. inside of it. <laughs> it's it's there's parts at the beginning when you're seeing like the how the internal systems of the suit work and it's very Tetsuo yeah. the Iron Man. It's this sort of like body horror yeah. mixed with um the, these metal frameworks and things. But he is kind of buggy in the same way that Cayman Rider is very much just like a bug mm. like personified but like right. yeah it's it's very flat faced it almost looks fish like it's a really weird looking design but it's such a fun little yeah. anti-hero to to gravitate towards in this and it is it is interesting to tie it into it is it does seem like a very like kind of tight-knit community of these directors and, and filmmakers mm. working on this stuff because before Mechanical Violator Hokkaido, um, Amamiya made two Common Rider movies, mm. um, Common Rider Zoe and Common Rider J, which are both also phenomenal and, and very much worth checking out. Yeah. I think Zoe especially is just like a, a really phenomenal film. And again, you um, don't need to know any sort of pre-existing lore yeah, to these. It's, it's sort of, yeah, they, are, they are decent entry points and um, just even the action choreography alone is just like really stellar and really influential for like future tokusatsu related projects and even like superhero action cinema in general yeah but it's it's there's definitely a stark difference between a lot of other of the tokusatsu stuff because a lot of it is very like not necessarily cheap but it's a lot uh, more simplistic in the designs and everything it's just kind of like mm -hmm. people in silly simple costumes that kind of they're like this guy's a you know like a bat monster and you just kind of accept it for mm -hmm. what it is but i think what makes amamiya's versions great is that he really goes all out in the designs and the effects work is he's like such a really brilliant um effects guy and then i just all of his films are really amazing examples of that through the uh, the 80s and 90s his um his films feel very lived in as well like the yeah. environments and locations he um he builds through these worlds are always a, a bit more sort of scarce and, and dirtier than, say, some of the stuff from, like, Ultraman or Kamen Rider where you'll just find them fighting in a field somewhere right. <laughs> or just, like, some barren location in, like, a, a sunny Japanese day, whereas these feel very much just rooted in, in Jesus Town and this location that, that the film weaves. Yeah, there's great, like, miniature work and, and really cool environments mm. that he creates that you can tell that even with, you know, he's not working with necessarily a lot, but he really makes the most out of it and it, it makes it so enjoyable to watch and i think what 
I also really love about uh, him as a director is his his influences are are so like obviously painted on on the screen, but like it's mm-hmm. kind of what I love about it. Like there's so much like Terminator and RoboCop in this movie, but yeah, it's what makes it awesome. There's some very very direct references where it's like, oh, this is just he wants to do a Terminator thing, but I'm like, you know what? If you want to do a Terminator thing, you can do that. <laughs> Absolutely, it's this this mid '90s like melting pot yeah. of just influences and ideas taking things that Japan have done and things that have been happening in the west in like big blockbuster action cinema but it's done on not necessarily a shoestring budget but certainly like a lesser budget than what's you know hollywood directors were working with yeah um so i'm curious so there are two cuts of this film there's the theatrical cut which is like 50 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the director's cut which is like an hour and 17 or something um have you watched both of them or did you only get around to one of them i I only got around to the theatrical this okay. time. I believe the first time I watched this, I watched the director's cut, but I'm not certain. So did you you watch both for for this podcast? Yeah, I I, I, wa- I checked out both of them just partially because mm. I was curious and also just because I really like watching this movie. Um, but <laughs> so so there's some interesting differences. The theatrical cut is it's hard to kind of recommend one over the other. The theatrical cut has sure. the advantage of having a full restoration. Um, you can yes. get it on Blu-ray yeah, from uh, what... from Media Blasters. It's it's, it's really beautiful. The, the restoration is really excellently done. Um, but it's only available for the theatrical cut. The director's cut, right. I think, because of some of the additional effects shots that um, I guess don't have um, they don't have access to. They can't fully restore it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it doesn't look as good. Um, but it is it does include a lot more. So the the director's cut has. I kind of also pulled them up side by side to kind of curious to see some of the differences. Um, And the director's cut, just everything has just a little bit more breathing room. So it's not necessarily that there's like a a huge sequence that's completely cut out. It's just kind Mm -hmm. of like it moves a little bit slower and it has a little bit more space and you get a lot more kind of establishment of the world and everything that's going on. It gets a lot more like little character stuff um, and and stuff that's happening in the the town. You get more of a sense of kind of the the oppressive atmosphere of it. and the other advantage of the the director's cut is that he goes all out with kind of the uh, the blood and gore that I'm assuming was oh, had yeah. to be cut out for the, the <laughs> theatrical stuff. Um, so there's definitely some advantages either way. I think what I also like about the director's cut is there's a lot more like kind of stylistic influence. Um, you mentioned mm. Tetsuo the Iron Man already, but I think there's a little bit more of that in the director's Ooh. cut. And there's also like some fun like kind of pov raimi style shots that are really fun as well that's really cool i like what you said about the, the sort of like how it's how, not well the pacing is, yeah. is sort of different and more sort of lethargic and more stretched out because i found comparing even the the 50 minute theatrical cut comparing that to things like Cayman rider j or Cayman rider zo is there, there are moments of respite in this whereas in those Cayman rider shorts i feel like they're they are very much at like 100 percent most oh, yeah. of the time whereas this has a lot more moments of like quietness like moments where it's just music uh, propelling the entire yeah, sort yeah. of like visual narrative at play here uh, it's very like melodramatic in parts as well. Like it's self-serious, but it's 
it's wonderfully self-serious in the fact that the whole concept is just ridiculous. Right. Like it is just this anti-hero, uh, super-villain, superhero story, but it never turns like tongue-in-cheek in any point. Uh, and the music really intensifies that with the sort of melodramatic strings, and it takes itself. You know, it, it's it's propping itself up as like this evil versus good sort of story, and I, I really enjoy the the dynamic between um, the hero and villain towards the towards the climax here. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. I think it's because it is it is self serious, but I think it it knows that it's playing with kind of pretty surface level and simple ideas. I mean, it is very much just like kind of this basic template of like the the desire for like um agency and freedom in like this oppressive world and it's like that's nothing too mm-hmm. too hard to like come to grips with but when you when you give it that self-serious tone i think it it makes it that much better to kind of experience it um because it isn't really at any point making fun of itself it is very it is no. very in that in that world and in that space um all friends against the government. It has exactly, that sort of exactly. like as the, the the center point, the center point message, and it just has fun blowing things up and uh, dashing the screen with squibs and yeah. <laughs> ridiculous action choreography throughout. Yeah, because you've got these kind of like brainwashed henchmen kind of guys who have very mm-hmm. cool like costume design on those ones. Um, very very like disposable stormtrooper yeah, style <laughs> sort of uh, villains here, um, and they're pitted against kind of this little like punk rebellion outfit um that are that are mm-hmm. trying to accomplish the uh task of of taking everything down and and freeing everybody from their the oppressive atmosphere um but i think that that group it's, it's is like, so much fun there's like a kind of a hazy dreamy atmosphere to some of it there's kind of the definitely the main female character in that group kind of has like these these dreams of of a hero like Hakaider mm. saving them from their <laughs> from the oppression. It, it definitely feels, uh, which is a sense you do get in a lot of this sort of stuff. Of like, it feels like a part of something greater and something grander. Like, you know, if you know, you know. There are fans right. of this that will be familiar with the 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 concepts and the characters that it's working with, and maybe there is like back matter and backstory elsewhere. But I like how self contained it still feels. Yeah, like you don't need to know anything more, but you get such a good sense of this being a really huge universe that has so much more going on. And there's clearly a lot of bits of lore that you just kind of get glimpses of and you know that there's more behind Mm -hmm. it, but you don't need it to, to fully appreciate and enjoy this film. Uh, and one thing this does that I'd say like a lot of the Ultraman and, and Kamen Rider stuff do, uh, d- doesn't re- don't really do is um, it's not all just like hand to hand like action choreography. There's a lot of like gunplay, like almost like John Woo level like yeah. shootouts in warehouses. Which is funny. There's even like a lot of like feather stuff, which kind of goes into like the John Wait. Woo like doves and everything. But <laughs> Definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's very much. He's his, he's got like a shotgun that's just kind of at any point can kind of accomplish whatever task he needs it to accomplish. It's just kind of like the power level changes depending on what he needs to destroy. What he needs to do, <laughs> exactly. It just sort of seems to pull it out of anywhere. And his signature Hakeda shot wrist-mounted gun oh, and yeah. the Hakeda <laughs> knuckle fists. It's such a, a joyously uh, like video gamey sort of um, design for it's funny that action you, sequences. It's funny that you say that. When I was doing a little bit of research on this, I found out that mm. there actually was a video game uh, tied to this film released i think in the 90s for the sega saturn wow that's like a it was like a laser gun game um where you kind of oh, move okay. through the yeah, world yeah, yeah. like an the, arcade yeah 
arcade style shooter. That sounds really cool. Actually. I was watching. I'm some looking <laughs> up images now. <laughs> yeah, I, was, now I looked like, up some yeah, gameplay. That was like, <laughs> all right, that looks like a very '90s game that I'm sure would not hold up uh-huh. to, to how it plays, but. If I was in a retro bar and they were playing oh, yeah. that on like some arcade <laughs> cabinet, I, I'd spend some money on this. It looks awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's such a great ramping up of the the action throughout because it starts with kind of this this basic like fodder stuff with these kind of stormtrooper mm-hmm. guys, and he just kind of cuts through all of them, and you get like a little bit of yep. you get a lot of fun just from that with like him just absolutely going to town on these guys and then it kind of builds up to when he gets to that that final showdown with the villain mm-hmm. michael um and then <laughs> Which the, is just, every time you say it it's like that's not his real name it's, there's no way he's called michael i, I have, have to feel the same mechanical yeah. <laughs> mechanical violator hakeda versus michael um and then that and that fight is great because it ends with him ripping his mm-hmm. spine out which is such a great way to yeah, end the fight. it's such a very like mortal such combat, a mortal yeah. mortal combat sort of thing yeah again it just feels like a a melting pot of influences and ideas in like the the cultural osmosis of the time like on the rise of like home video and video games and things like that and the the cyberpunk steampunk aesthetics and the mad max dystopian future and oh love it love it yeah there's such a great that i love that that leads into that that final battle with the i can't even remember the the actual main villain's name but um the the kind of duel he has with him ending with like that just crazy kind of cobbled together robot monster um is really cool sort of stop motion yeah it does like that really fun like harryhausen stop motion thing and it's just like oh it's it's you get you get everything you could ever want in this one short film i love films that end on like a really impressive sort of um sequence that they haven't used like at all throughout the entire right. runtime. so it's it's all been this very live action guys in suits shooting fighting whatever towards the end you have this mechanical monstrosity yeah. stop motion thing that just completely wows me at the end love it yeah you gotta like slow motion sequences uh, lots of like adventurous camera angles really sort of propulsive editing oh yeah everything is is really dynamic yeah the camera work is is always just having the most fun he is he is sending that thing at full speed everywhere he can Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is a blast look deep into the credits to to look for like the stunt coordinator stunt coordinator action coordinator um, we've got this guy called Asamu Kanida who did a lot of the choreography in sort of like 90s Kamen Rider movies and series okay. and went on to he's in the past sort of like 10 15 years has been directing quite a lot of the main title Kamen Rider um like movies oh, interesting. and he is part of um, uh, this guild group called the Japan Action Club and as you said earlier where it feels like everything is sort of connected in yeah. this little bubble like everything is sort of connected to each other it very much is so right. like the Japan Action Club <laughs> if you look through the listings of who is involved in this group and what they've worked on everyone works on everything is very much like like a legacy project like it's just sort of this this band of of people that choreograph and direct these sort of movies uh the japan action club it was such a cool little thing to oh, find that's out. really cool yeah i love when you get to kind of dig through and find other stuff that these people have worked on um not a film mm. that i have seen but i know you have um Awamiya did some effects work on Meatball Machine. Oh, which awesome. Is like, I know, that makes like sense. another like effects showcase film. Yeah, and then very he also much. worked on um, a Lamni Choi movie called Saga of the Phoenix. Um, 
that is again yeah, another very like effects heavy <laughs> like showcase. Yeah, as I he think. Said. Yeah, I don't think he did like the any of like the main work, but I think he designed like the the main kind of monster that appears at the end and mm. is very cool. And it's like it's kind of out of place in that film, but it very does it does very much stand out as like oh, this is definitely like <laughs> an Amamiya design just kind of busting its way into the end of this film, which is fine it, because he cre- he creates things that are so visually distinct and visually awesome it's very much live action manga live action anime brought to life which is such a difficult task to like pull off correctly because fundamentally things in like superhero anime and manga are just so it's so like animated and flexible and it's hard to bring that to life on on like the silver screen and make it like tactile and realistic yeah, there's definitely a limited number of live action directors who I think really can take capture that kind of when you're like when you're reading that that kind of thing like a manga like mm. you are filling in the gaps between yeah. the frames your, yourself and it's it's a very limited number of people who can really interpolate that in a way that makes a lot of sense and I think Amamiya is is a great example of that and I think another one would obviously be uh, Hideaki Anno who I think does mm-hmm. a great job of that that comic book style without feeling like it's just direct one to one and he really yeah, like, does it, those weird camera angles yeah, that feel it, very comic booky yeah he's definitely trying to sort of like irk the style of reading a page through panels like the way he edits like he'll cut a sequence right. into sort of like six quadrants and six snappy sort of uh, camera cuts to make you feel like your eyes are scanning across a page or something and turning pages and it's again yeah, we'll, exactly. we'll probably cover Anno in, in some form in this on this podcast at <laughs> some point but yeah they're definitely in conversation with each other and definitely uh, are pulling from the same influences as well yeah, especially when you've got both of them working on uh, a common writer of properties, mm-hmm. and you can see those kind of the differences between how different directors kind of interpret that uh, those ideas. As I said, yeah, I said earlier, it's largely driven by music in parts, and there's that sort of uh, at melodramatic side of everything. It's these romantic melodic plucks and, and synth harps, but then yeah. you'll be like completely juxtaposed with like really cartoony sort of like sound effects when like guns go <laughs> off or squibs are firing off or walls are crumbling like the sets that they build for this is so great and i love when people are committed to building massive robust dystopian sets just to like completely destroy them oh, yeah. throughout the, them the process oh, of the film yep build them up tear them down we built this warehouse we've you know painted it up to look like this thing and we're going to absolutely destroy it in the process yeah, this film really does live on the on the sound design. There is so much phenomenal sound work throughout. The great the sound effects are absolutely mm. fantastic. Like it's it's the kind of thing that you could just kind of listen to and get kind of such a great idea. Like the the sound itself really paints a picture of of what's happening through those those pings off of his armor when he's just getting mm-hmm. riddled with bullets and and the uh, the roar of his motorcycle and everything. And then it's all coupled with. Um, koichi ota's score which i think is, mm. is absolutely brilliant and he did the uh the music for most of Mamiya's films i really love his scores for the the zayram films which are also uh huge favorites of mine mm, i need to revisit those ones uh, i think i've only seen the first one actually i need to uh i need to dive deeper oh, into fun, but, yeah but yeah those are also just like phenomenal effects showcases of of what you can do because yeah that the monster in those films just like constantly evolves and changes and goes into every direction possible because he's never <laughs> he's never wasting any time when he gets a chance to make one of these amazing no that's the thing like 
I, I like I like those Godzilla movies. I like a lot of the Godzilla movies. Sometimes those Godzilla movies are too long. Like sometimes they're drawing yeah, that out close to, close to two hours, or even some of like the the mainline Ultraman or Cameron Raider movies. They're like pushing you know a hundred minutes or something. But when you have right. uh, when you have the constraint of okay, we need to make something that is forty five minutes. We need to make something that is half an hour yeah. long with like TV ad breaks. You just have to concentrate all your efforts into the areas you're most comfortable in like maybe the story progression the characterization in a godzilla movie is a bit better because they've got more time to work with the characters and they've got more you know more open space to work with there and those movies are all sometimes about you know not showing the monsters for large periods of time and then you know building that reveal it's the jaws effect is the the monster is much scarier when you can't see it and things like that whereas in mechanical violator hakeda and you know uh, films of this sort of ilk it is very much we've got it here we have 45 minutes to tell the story go 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 everything all the time everything everywhere all at once put it all into (laughs) action yeah, it's definitely a different kind of operating mode where those longer feature films of like the the Godzilla kind kind of take their time and I think they often kind of are going back and forth between like here's some monster stuff and then we're going to go back to exposition and plot and then we'll kind of build up to the next big monster moment and when you've got these these concise tokusatsu films it's like we have to constantly blend all of it together and the action and the exposition and the narrative and the character arcs are all happening at the exact same time and Mm -hmm. you can't waste a single frame of it because you got to get it all out which i think can be quite daunting to to viewers because it is very much in your face it is like constantly running at like 100 miles an hour there's a lot to like visually and audibly sort of take on board whereas as you said those godzilla movies and you know kaiju movies at large have those parallel narratives where it's very much focusing on like the human connections the human storylines and obviously we're talking about like those early like godzilla movies are talking about real world you know history and effects and like thematics whereas this is very much rooted in escapist fantasy fiction it is very dystopian and it is just you know playbox sandbox storytelling yeah it all kind of goes goes back to the the way that these kind of tokusatsu franchises are constructed where every story is kind of its own thing and Mm -hmm. like we were talking about like you do get a sense of this larger world but they're so self-contained that even though it's running at 100 miles an hour and you might miss a couple things it's like all you need is is right there on the screen and there's not really anything else that you need to to pull you into it and if you miss something it's like yeah that's okay because yeah it is what it is <laughs> it's almost like they're designed like single issue comic books like yes this is a yeah. series of 700 comic books but every every comic book is someone's first comic book so if you're picking up a you know a, a an issue of spider-man in like the 70s or something that's going to be someone's first issue so you need to be able to introduce the character introduce the idea of the character and the largest stakes and showcase you know a decent story and i feel like that's very much the same here of like yes yeah, sure this is part of a larger narrative a larger world larger backstory but people are coming to this with fresh eyes and just you know will not know anything about this world and will leave knowing everything (laughs) right which i appreciate that so much because there is so much of it all to like consume and take in and i I do think that kick specifically is only maybe like a season or two so it's not Mm -hmm. like it's a huge 
franchise, but especially with stuff like Common Rider where there's so many different shows and uh-huh. universes and in the same thing. It's like it's great when you know that you can just jump in and there's no prior knowledge needed that it's, that there's not like a you don't have any homework to do be like yes, do, what do I yeah. need to what do I need to watch so that I can appreciate <laughs> this thing. <laughs> it's the, it's the same thing with like a lot of Japanese series and anime series like trying to get into the loop in the third movies. It's like where do I start? There's like 40 of these things, but they're designed right. in a way that you can just put whichever one on and it will service like a a first time viewing right there's the basically the same central four characters or so exactly yeah we're gonna always circling and all you need to know is kind of the the basic outlines of these characters that's what kept me from diving further into ultraman and kamen rider originally was being like oh no i need Mm. to go back and watch you know three seasons of the television show before i start the movies or else i'm not going to get all the references and it's like i don't need to think like that i can just definitely throw one on and they will do the service of introducing or reintroducing the premise and the characters for me and then we have a 45 minute adventure to enjoy and i always appreciate that because one who has the time (laughs) to like binge all these things and to just they're not as widely available in the west as obviously they are in japan although a lot of them are just like streaming on archive or youtube or tubi which is always always a good shout I don't know about YouTube, but uh, Hakaider is definitely on on Tubi in both versions. The uh, directors and uh, theatrical are on archive as well. So, if you haven't checked this out before listening to this, you should absolutely go and watch it. Um, and because yeah, it is it's... it is a a very fun, very very fun fifty minutes to uh, hour and twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I still need to uh, get my, my get myself sat down and watch the director's cut. And as you said, I am always looking on ebay for a decent copy of the blu-ray to get that theatrical uh, print in my house because this is just such a cool little oddity to own uh, i think it's really yeah. really fun little project yeah all right so i think that'll do it for this episode jack do you want to tell the listeners what we will be talking about next week on the show yes your pick so first episode we did some indonesian action cinema second episode we've done some japanese action cinema and now i'm taking us to england and we are doing a an english bruiser of a movie called avengement starring scott adkins and directed by jesse v johnson so please join us on the next episode where we'll be talking about jesse v johnson's filmography and the 2000 and oh is it 19 yeah 19 i believe uh, 2019 film avengement all right and as always you can find us pretty much everywhere all over the internet letterboxd twitter slash x blue sky be sure to check out the twingeeks.com for more of everything and us talking about films and podcasting about things <laughs> and we will be back next time thank you jack for uh, thank you vaughn i'll see you next episode